welcome to the latest edition of the Views from the Wings podcast. And, you know, there hasn't really been any big news over the past few weeks with the Eagles, but I think on Monday morning, there's a, it was either Sunday or Monday where there was an article saying that when Doug Peterson was the coach, there's a lot, the front office, mainly Jeffrey Lurie and Harry Roseman, they were basically um, pressing Doug and all the decisions that he made. And for what one instance was in the game against the, against the Packers back in 2019 when the Eagles went in there and won, Jeffrey Lurie was like, you know, he was just saying that the Eagles the Eagle should have passed the ball more. And I think it's that just what they're doing just gives you insight of what type of front office the Eagles are and what they're continuing to be right now. And, you know, as a fan, it's very, very concerning that the front office has so much say in, like, on what the game plan should be, and that really shouldn't be the case and should be given to the head coaches and the coordinators to do that. Um, yeah, and so I think I think our fan base kind of gets on, like, uh, teams like the Cowboys and their ownership, like, you know, Jerry Jones and how, how much he meddles. Yeah. You know, the, the Eagles have a, an owner that meddles quite a bit as well, and maybe it's not something new, but um, I think the fact that you're seeing – some of the, the the poor results of last year, it's it's starting to people are starting to take notice of it maybe a little bit more. Um, and I just think when when you look back at um, that article, they were talking about um, how even back in 2016, um, Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie wanted them to get rid of uh, Frank Reich, and going into 2017, Doug Peterson apparently had to for Frank Reich's job, essentially, um, which obviously worked out great. They win the Super Bowl. They, they don't win the Super Bowl without Reich, most likely. And who knows who they would have brought in or who they would have promoted to take his to take a spot. Yeah. And um, I think you saw some of the same stuff happening with, with um, Carson Walsh and um, and Mike Grow. And obviously, they're not on the level of, of a Frank Reich, but I think Doug was feeling the same type of pressure. Like, man. You, did, you just did the same thing to me in 2016. We just won a Super Bowl, and now you're wanting me to do this. You know, you're you're coming at me with the same proposal as last time. And I think Doug was probably just trying to fight for his guys, and, and maybe it was the right decision, you know, for the for the ownership to try to step in there because I don't think Grow or Walsh were were great coaches, but I think what you saw was Doug becoming more stubborn because ownership wanted to meddle more. And maybe if ownership didn't come to him in 2016 and ask you know, him to, to get rid of Reich. If that doesn't happen, maybe he, they don't have such a tumultuous relationship later on whenever they're asking, you know, similar stuff. So I just think that from that article, you can take what you want from it, you know, and there's a lot of people that, you know, saying how it's probably mostly embellished and um, just a lot of people, you know, either making up stuff or just going over stuff we've already talked about. And that's fine, but I, I, I'm kind of taking it a little bit more at face than that. Um, so to me, I think this just kind of shows that the relationship between Doug and, and the front office was never really that great, and he never really had their trust. And I think you saw that, and we talked about this before, how when they hired Doug, they brought in, like, you know, a Jim Schwartz, a former head coach, a, you know, a strong voice. And even in that report, it touched on how, um, I don't know if you remember, but back um, before 2017, um, Jeff McLean was touching on, or I think it might have been 2018, um, my memory's bad on that, but um, 
it was one of those years, um, apparently Jim Schwartz was trying to usurp power from Doug Peterson and they were meeting with, he was meeting with um, Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie essentially could possibly take his job. So I don't know how much truth there is to that, but that article did highlight that, that they did have that meeting um, days leading up to 2017. Um, they had that meeting with Jim Schwartz. So to me, it just kind of shows that overall this, this front office didn't really have a full trust of Doug Peterson ever. Even winning the Super Bowl, I don't think they had a full trust. I think that Howie Roseman probably thought it was more him than it was, you know, Doug Peterson. And I just – I think the relationship was never that great, and it probably had a lot to do with, with how the Chip Kelly relationship was, you know, and, and how much Chip Kelly kind of took away from Howie Roseman in the front office trying trying to take all the power. And maybe that's why they, the, this relationship wasn't so great. So I, I have a little bit of hope that maybe they, they've learned their mistakes of what went wrong with Doug, and maybe Sirianni will get more autonomy and won't be questioned as much. and can actually try to build something. Yeah, Sirianni, he was able to bring in his own his own staff. The Eagles really didn't have a say. The only say that they had it was probably keeping Jeff Stalin and Aaron Moorhead. But... And, and Sirianni, I'm sure, signed off on that. It's not like Sirianni – I mean, Jeff Stalin is, is world-renowned. So. Yeah, and it's just – it, you know, it's terrible, the position that the Eagles in. And let me just go back to the article one quick. I just think – I think the article would hold much more standing if there's, like, a a name to the quotes. But it's just anonymous sources. And every single time an Eagles beat writer, they've released a report like this. It's always been an, anonymous sources, like – that's why I just I don't think I don't I don't know if you've noticed this, but most of, every time the Eagles break news, it's always through guys like Tom Pelissero, mm-hmm. Mike Garofolo, and Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter. It's mm-hmm. never any of the Eagles beat reporters. They're always last to get the information, and right. I I do believe in what the guys who wrote this article are saying, but it's kind of, it's a little bit hard to put, take their word for it because there's so many, you know, anonymous sources and ifs, ands, or buts in there. So. Yeah. And with anonymous sources, you always kind of got to take that with a grain of salt and you got, you, and I, you know, there's a big debate about it, you know, and I understand keeping sources anonymous, I guess, in a way, you know, because you don't want to ruin it, but, I think that sometimes you need some sort of validity to it other than just saying, well, you, well, do trust me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like um, I just, I, I put some stock into that report because I think that you can see big, there's a video going around of just a random, I think it was like Trey Burton doing some interview or some like Instagram live video or something, yeah. but he was going on about how, um, how different the organization in Chicago and India was compared to Philly with, with the owner. And he didn't really, he wasn't like taking a shot at the Eagles either is the thing. It was kind of just like in passing, pretty much saying like, yeah, you know, everything needs to be signed off by Howie Roseman in, in Philly. But whenever I came to Chicago or India, it was a little bit more, you know, the, the coaches had more autonomy. The GM wasn't so involved and, you know, the owner wasn't so involved. And I, I see the, those type of things. And I see like other former players, you know, come out and, and say some, you know, just little stuff. And so I think that there is some there is some validity to 
to maybe the toxicity and dysfunction within the Eagles organization. But the thing is, you know, and to play devil's advocate against myself, you can't really be super dysfunctional if you go to playoffs three years in a row, you know, and, and you have as many winning seasons as the Eagles have had. I mean, even when you look back at the Chip Kelly years, I mean, if they have one losing season under him, you know, so they've had, they had a losing season obviously under Doug, but it's not like they've had like super bad seasons like this one. They haven't been picking, you know, top six, top five in the NFL draft because of them being poor in a long time. And, you know, you got to look back till 2012 to, to even see this team being, um, you know, this bad. And I think, I think it is the off season um, and it's these reporters trying to make stories too. And that definitely has to play a part. You know, you got to find something to talk about, in, you know, in, in this period. And the Eagles seem to always be in the forefront of some sort of offseason talk every year. And I think the reporters are, you know, part of the reason because of that. Because like you said, I don't think they get the big scoops like they, like they need. You know, they don't get the big free agent signings or, or breaking news. They get these little stories and these little, like, you know, object or these little pieces and stuff you know what i'm saying they don't they don't get these big stories that some of the other main reporters do yeah and i just think like maybe the eagles as an organization they rather give the information to the national guys who have much more you know sterling reputations and have been doing this for such a long time instead of getting guys and giving it to guys like like jeff mcclain or I can go on on and on and name a bunch of guys, but I just don't think they. I think there's always there's always has always been a disconnect between Philly media and all the four sports teams. Flyers, Phillies, Sixers, and Eagles. It's always been like that, and it's not going to change. These beat writers, they want you know they want credibility. They have it, but they just don't. The, in the Eagles, they probably don't see it, and I don't blame them for that at all. And it's like, yeah, it's, yeah go ahead, go ahead. No, I, I don't blame them either because they've, I mean, it's they've had they dealt with this type of media and this type of reporting for so long. It's probably to the point like, man, we're done, we're done dealing with you guys. We're not gonna, we're not gonna have a great relationship with you. And maybe if the Eagles media and you know the, the their front office had a good relationship, maybe these stories don't come out so much. Maybe you don't have the anonymous Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz reports or these anonymous Howie Rosen reports now. And so I think that it's some of these reporters probably getting spurned by the Eagles a lot. That probably, that probably, you know, plays a big factor. So I, you know, I don't want to pretend to know their relationship, but it just seems like, it seems like a lot of these reporters don't have great relationships with the, you know, their sporting teams that they cover. And it's not just Eagles specific, like you said, like it, it's a kind of across the board and, I don't follow Flyers or even really the Phillies, you know, media as much. But, you know, I from what I understand, from what I see on Twitter, you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's, it's especially especially with the Sixers, too. So it's I think it's just, a, you know, how a Philly media. Yeah, and I just think it also it goes from the front office all the way down to the players. And I just thought I just I don't think the players even respect the, the local media. Like mm-hmm. you could tell, like certain press conference like some of the players are like why do i have to be here what are i gonna what do i have to talk to you guys like i'd rather go on like first take and on the street and debate with those guys instead of getting into a, a debate with you so let's leave it at that and move on to eagles made some some moves in free agency over the past week and 
they're able to get linebacker Eric Wilson from the Minnesota Vikings and as well as re-signing Jordan Howard. And I think those are some pretty pretty good underrated moves. Like, we know Nate, Nate Gary, he went to the 49ers who were kind of looking for another linebacker to pair with um, to pair with Alex Singleton. And, you know, they got that guy. Now they can move on to the draft and try to get, like, a get a good, decent linebacker maybe in the mid-rounds. And, yeah, that they're, they're upgrading to the position well. And and then when it comes to Jordan Howard, they're able to, you know, I think it was yesterday he said he really didn't get any look from any of, any of the teams in the NFL. So he's thinking about retiring. And I just think, I think he's going to util, be utilized properly under Nick Sirianni because, he he likes running the football and Doug he just he did not like running the football at all and I just think we can go back to some resemblance of the running game back in 2019 where you had I call them Thunder and Lightning Jordan Howard and Miles mm-hmm. Sanders, Miles Sanders. Mm-hmm. so yeah I like those moves a lot yeah and, and when you looked at what they did in Indy last year um they had a really nice stable of running backs and they, they had used three they had three Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines and Jordan yep. Wilkins yeah um um the the rookie though um Jonathan Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor. Taylor yeah they have four really good backs yeah yeah and even Wilkins like I said he he had some really nice games there before before Taylor even got there and um so I think they know I think he knows how to utilize the running backs that he has and they all really performed well in, in the ways they are asked. And I'm even excited, like, someone like Austin Scott, man. I think he can be used as a uh, as a Naheem Hines. And I love Naheem Hines coming out of college. And I think that Boston Scott can fill that type of role maybe. Um, and I think you're going to see Miles Sanders get unleashed, hopefully, finally, <laughs> more than more than Peterson ever did. And I, I like – I like bringing Jordan Howard here. It's going to be a chief. He knows this. You know, he doesn't necessarily know the system, I guess, but he knows the he knows the team. He knows the locker room. He knows the city. So, I think that's a nice familiar move to bring back. Um, and it seems like a lot of their one year signings have been have been pretty legit. Um, yeah. You know, both uh, both the former Vikings signings I thought were were nice and you know yeah. for production wise. Um, so, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and one need that the Eagles really need to focus on is cornerback we got slay he's cb1 we just need cb2 and you know there's some pretty good um decent players out there like steven nelson he has i don't think he's been signed yet and then he can go into the draft and i've seen all over twitter like people debating on who the Eagles should pick with the 12th pick you could go cornerback route you can go horn or certain and then wide receiver route you can go Waddle or or Devontae Smith, so it's really really up in the air. And the Eagles, they really have a lot of position of needs that they need to address in the draft or in free agency. And mm-hmm. knowing Harry Roseman's track track record, you kind of you're not convinced that he'll be able to do that. Yeah. Looking, looking at looking at the draft, I think you're right with those. Those probably are going to be the the top targets, I would imagine. Those four names, and as if the Eagles can pull off any of those four names, I I'm going to be happy with it. I, I haven't watched um, a ton of either Horn or Sertain, but I, I trust you know some of the people I follow, and I 
think both those guys are, are going to be good enough to to at least start year one and hopefully build upon that. And I think uh, I love Devonta Smith's and Jalen Waddle's tape. I was talking about Waddle a while ago. I would even enter, I would have even entertained him at six. So if he's there at twelve, um, and you know Devonta Smith's also there, I don't care which one you take. Either one, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care about Smith's weight nearly as much as most people. Um, yeah. It's not nearly as big of a deal. I think that's just something that people. It's just a funny, a fun thing to talk about during draft period. It's just I mean, like. Uh, I mean, BMI is it's very like. <laughs> it's one of the stupidest like measuring tools when it comes to like weight. Like you could be, you could be ripped, and your BMI will be like thirty, and it'll tell you it's overweight, and it's kind of yeah. Like, it makes no sense. Pointless. And I've never even heard of BMI being used for anything. <laughs> that that uh, Lee Nelson guy brought it up this year. I'm like, where does this come from? Like, just BMI? Are you kidding me? I think like, I think people are just scared of his weight. He's like yeah. he's very slender. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of they're they're like hesitant on him because. What happens if he goes across the middle and he gets popped? Like, what's going to happen? Well, and the thing, the thing is, I think that I think with a player like Devonta Smith, you got to know how to deploy him right. You don't want to send him, you know, across the middle like that, you know, all the time. But I also think you've got guys like Wes Welker who he wasn't a. I mean, the guy was small. He was my size, and yeah. he wasn't the greatest athlete in the world. I mean, he's obviously an NFL athlete, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He's not a Devonta Smith level athlete, and he just knew how to protect himself. And the only yeah. thing in his career was concussions, which could have ended anyone's career regardless of size. So I just think you, you've, you've got so many examples of small, really small guys, like even Taylor Gabriel. I know he just retired actually recently, but he never really had injuries. Other, I think he had concussion problems. So I think that these players are able to, to – I think whenever you're someone like Devonta, you know that you're not the biggest guy in the world. You know you, you know how to protect yourself and – I think it's the same, you hear the same thing about, like, running quarterbacks or, like, um, Lamar Jackson. That was the thing I heard a lot. Like, well, Lamar Jackson's not that big, and if he's going to run as much as he did in college, he's going to get hurt. It's like, I guess, but you, you just can't foresee that. The same thing, like, Michael Vick wasn't that big coming out. and It's just injuries, I think, are so much more random than, than people want to admit, and I don't think body type is really going to protect you all that much in, in when it comes to injuries. So I look at when I look at his traits, and, man, Devonta Smith is, is a phenomenal player, and I think that, you know, he could be a bust, you know, but I don't think it's – if he's going to be a bust, it's not going to be because he's six foot, 170 pounds. It's going to be because he didn't, he just didn't work out. So another guy, um, real quick, is Micah Parsons, I think, is flying under the radar. But if he's there at 12, and I think the board could shape out where all four of those guys are gone. All four of those guys are gone. I probably would take Micah Parsons and – that's going to be a bit of a controversial pick if it happens because no one, I, I know there's, there's there's going to be people that hate Howie Roseman. They're going to say, wow, you took a linebacker around one and, and just kill him for it. But, I mean, Michael Parsons is a, is a hell of a player, and I think I think if he's there at 12, it, it's a good possibility. It's a solid possibility. They've never drafted linebacker around one as far as I know. I don't think they've ever done it, maybe once or twice, definitely never in Roseman's um, tenure, but I think that would be on the table too. Yeah, there is. There could be a lot of players that at the top of the Eagles board available at twelve. You can never rule out the possibility of them trading back into the top ten or trading back down to get more picks. So it's kind of you know the draft is up, coming up in two weeks, and we'll we'll just have to wait and see what the Eagles do at twelve and how the the board shakes out with 
the top 11 picks. So, yeah, we'll leave it at there. And next week we'll come to you guys with hopefully our own version of our mock drafts to just to see what, what, our idea of what the Eagles should do. So, peace.